0: Um, you may recall that last week I pointed out that there uh, that in the Greek language, verse one begins with a um, uh, with a very interesting statement. If, uh, I wrote the Greek word up there. I, I didn't, I'm not going to use that thing tonight, but uh, the word is "ophilo," and, and that was the, that's the root of the word. It's in the third person singular. Now, if you know if you don't remember anything about English language, third person singular means what? It means "we." So the text, if anything, opens like this: we owe <laughs> and and I spent the whole evening last Wednesday just talking about the whole sense of obligation if you <clears throat> if you value and prize grace like Grace Yvan does, then one of the conceivable errors that we make is that we uh, we begin to uh, take a deaf ear to um, legitimate gospel responsibilities. And, and so that was the point that I was making last week, that the Bible includes those folks. And, and here this text gives me grounds to say that because it opens with, uh, and as you, as I said to you last week, you remember that's the position of emphasis in the first of the sentence. It opens by saying, we owe. And that's, that's the whole time that we spent together last week. Now tonight, we're going we're gonna to look at the rest of what it is that we owe. What is um, our obligation? Um, but before we look at the details, ladies and gentlemen, let me say again. Um, belonging to Jesus Christ places certain obligations on us. Com- not inconsistent with the beauties of grace, there are obligations. One, actually two, being mentioned in verse one, let me read it to you. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Okay, the the, the, the obligation is broken up into a, a positive and a negative. It opens by saying that the the, the positive. Part of this obligation is that we are called to bear with. <laughs> Gang, the gospel requires of us concession. Woo-hoo. In some Christian circles, that is an ugly word concessions. Gang, it is not asking us to bear with sin. We're not to tolerate sin. But it is calling us to bear with the unique errors brought into the Christian church by what Paul has previously called the weak. The the contrast is, you who are strong, bear with. Not the sins of the weak but bear with the unique kind of um, misguidances that are brought into the body of Christ by those who, are, uh, who, who the New Testament would consider weak. Now, gang, the strong in the mind of the Apostle Paul are, are those who understand that as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are free. We are free from all of this... Um, tradition that has been encrusted that is just kind of gathered around the church and uh, saying things that just forbidding things that are just not to be forbidden, you know? But that's the strong. And the strong are being asked or being told by the Apostle Paul that we are to bear with the unique errors that we find in those that are still um, influenced by their legalistic past. Now, guys, that's the positive. Here's the negative. Bear with is the positive. The other part of this obligation is to not please ourselves. That's, that's the negative part of the obligation. The positive part is to bear with. The negative part is not to please ourselves. We are being asked not to do everything. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. We are being told that we are not to do everything that we have a legitimate right to do. Um... We who have been set free by the beauties of grace often make the mistake of thinking of ourselves as as superior. As better than those people who are kind of locked up in all of their legalities. Well, this text, ladies and gentlemen, is calling us to concession. That's not an ugly word among Christians. Now, I'm not saying that we are to bear with sin. I hope you heard me say that. But we are called to bear with those who are still influenced by a legalistic past that leads them into errors that we know are just that. Errors. Did you get that? Now, gang, um, I want to take us uh, in our, the last few minutes of our being together, I want to take you in another, same direction, but To say this, imagine with me for a moment that there were no Ten Commandments, that there are no moral duty ever mentioned in the New Testament other than this one. That that the Bible never said anything about adultery or coveting or stealing or murder, none of that. The only moral obligation laid upon the believer is that we bear with one another and we don't do everything uh, to please ourselves. If that was all there was just that. We would be condemned just on just you know there's there's another one that I love to mention it's in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says in Philipp, to the Philippians he says do everything without grumbling or complaining if we eliminate every moral injunction that's ever found in the bible and it's only philippians 2:14 that we have to deal with do that with don't, don't do every don't, don't do anything with uh, grumbling or complaining we would be slain if we were simply told don't do any grumbling or complaining if that was the only part of the Christian ethic, don't do any grumbling or complaining, that would, be, that would be enough to render us all incredibly guilty. But what I'm saying is, if this were the only moral injunction ever mentioned in the New Testament, we don't do very well with this bearing with the weak and not to please ourselves guys if that's the only two things that we could find in the new testament it would be enough to slay us what what i'm saying what i want to tell you tonight guys is just verse 1 of romans 15 points us to the enormity of our failing and the ravages of the fall and the extent of our sin. It points out um, our our impatience and our intolerance. That is, we're called to bear with one another, but I don't do that very good. What I am really good at is impatience and intolerance. The other part is our propensity to devote ourselves to ourselves. If there was nothing else in the Bible, just that, if that's all we got, if that's the only moral injunction we had to deal with, we would still have a mess on our hands. Because it it points us to to weaknesses that God's we all bring into this thing called the household of faith. We bring our intolerance, we bring our impatience with each other, and we bring our propensity to devote ourselves to ourselves. Um, I, I want to show you something. It's really in chapter 14, but, I, but before I read it to you, a disregard, On our parts, those of us who consider ourselves strong and set free by grace, a disregard for the scruples of the weak. Look at verse 20 of 14. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. My point is simply this. A failure to heed the injunction of chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says has the potential of destroying the work of God do you mean to tell me that by my intolerance and my impatience that I can destroy the work of God in another saved human being? Apparently so. Folks, um, just verse 15 is an enormous reminder of our need. For the rebirth. If God does not make us new. We have no chance. Of pulling off moral injunctions like these. Just this. Verse 15. uh, Bear with the weak. And don't do do things just to please yourself. Just those two things. Guys, reminds us. Uh, uh, let me put it, reminds us of the gospel order of Christian living. You know what I mean? The gospel order. Gang, the gospel always places being in front of doing. If I come to you and say, well, this is what a Christian does, um, apart from having a a whole new nature entrusted to me by the, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit... Heeding injunctions like these, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, is, is, is utter foolishness. You must never reverse that order. Being leads to doing, not doing leads to being. What you have here are moral injunctions which remind us of the enormous need to be remade by the inward work of the Holy Spirit. I want want to show you something tonight, guys, um, as we close. And it's in the book of Leviticus. So if you can find Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, I want to show you two things. Just to to, um, support that one point, that there is a gospel order. The order is... That the indicative precedes the imperative. I've said that a thousand times around here. That is, being precedes doing. I must become something before I do something. And and so much Christian preaching, it seems to me, reverses the order of those two things. So, ladies and gentlemen, apart from the Holy Spirit, go do this. No. It says that as a result of being made new, I am to live like this. That is, being precedes doing. But let me let me show you this in in Leviticus. Um, I want to show you um, Leviticus 18. Let's just start there. Um, th- this is a really hot topic these days. Beginning in verse 19. Um, look at verse 20. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife. Hmm. Look at verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Uh-oh. Uh, it's an abomination. You shall not lie with an animal. Now, guys, the reason I draw your attention to this is the Bible tells me who I can sleep with. It says I can't sleep with my neighbor's wife. And it tells me that I can't sleep with a member of the same sex. And I can't sleep with an animal. The Bible assumes a right to tell me how I can and cannot use my my body. But do you notice how the Bible does that? Look at it. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. Uh, You shall not uh, give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of the Lord God, the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Now say with me, Um, verse thirty. So keep my charge, never to practice any of these abominable customs. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Verse two. You shall be holy for. I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall, um, uh, verse 4, do not turn to idols or make yourself any gods of caste. I am the Lord your God. Uh, verse uh, 10, you shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not swear, this is verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. Verse 14, I am the Lord. Verse 16, I am the Lord. Verse 18, I am the Lord. Verse 25, I am the Lord your God. Verse 28, I am the Lord. Verse 30, I am the Lord. Do you see that? Gang, these three chapters are full of moral injunctions. You know, um, many of you prayed and, and knew that I was uh, speaking at it, Federal Express on August the 7th, and, and I'm telling you, it, cost, it took years off my life. Um, but um, the, the thing that took the years off of my life was that um, there was, I was to speak for 40 minutes and I was to leave 20 minutes for questions and answers. And it was right during that whole Chick-fil-A thing and, uh, you know, uh, you know that, that terrible Chick-fil-A thing, and, um, um, and I just knew. I just knew that somebody was going to ask me the question of homosexuality versus uh, heterosexuality. I didn't knew it. And so I had I had I was ready. And my answer ladies and gentlemen was going to be not this text, but to say this. Ladies and gentlemen, all morality is rooted in the fact that I am the Lord. God has a right to tell me who I can and who I cannot sleep with. Why? Because I am the Lord. He tells me what I can and what I can't do. Why? Because I am the Lord. All morality flows out of a law-giving God. Gang, the the only way that that we have have any way to define what is moral and what is immoral Is because God has revealed it. And he bases that revelation on the simple fact of who he is. Because of who he is, I issue this mandate. Now gang, keep your finger there if you'd like. And go back over to Exodus chapter 20. Where you find the Ten Commandments. And I said this to a group of men, oh, about four months ago, and it was like they'd never heard me say it before, and it seems like I've said it a whole lot, but I'm going to say it again. Gang, Exodus chapter 20 contains the Ten Commandments. Everybody, I hope, knows that. Um, there's There's commandment number one in verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. But before you get to commandment number one, you get to what is known as the preamble, the preface of the Decalogue. The thing that comes before the Decalogue, the thing that comes before the Ten Commandments, guys, is absolutely critical in a proper understanding of the Ten Commandments. Notice, verse 2. I am the Lord, your God. Now, gang, God steps before Israel and says to Moses, and he says to Moses, go goes, goes say this to the Israel. You go tell them that I am the Lord your God. We are in a relationship one with the other. As a result of being in that relationship that we're already in, I want you to go live like this. Okay? You see being, coming before, doing. You see the indicative preceding the imperative. You see the gospel order. You and I, says God, are in a relationship, one with the other. I am the Lord, your God. Now, as a result of you being, us being a relationship... This is the way people in a relationship with me live. You see, two things, guys. God has a right to issue commands because of who He is. But unless you are related to Him by this wonderfully glorious, mystical work of the Holy Spirit exchanging a heart of stone for a heart of flesh unless you're in that relationship, then injunctions like the ones that you find in Romans 15.1 are out of the question. You must never forget that there is a gospel order to Christian living. It always begins with being, not doing. Now, When you come to an injunction like Romans 15, 1, my goodness, don't do things that just please yourself. What do you mean don't do things that just please myself? I always do things that just please myself. I'm good at that. And so you, you see the radical ethic of the New Testament Christianity. You're asking me to stop doing things that please me? Well, who else is there to please but me? And so there's about 300 people in this room tonight saying the same blasted thing. I'm the only one that I want to please. is me. And so we come face to face with injunctions like these. And I'm saying that it is simply a reminder. A reminder, first of all, you must be born again. And secondly, you can never forget the Order. I've got to be something before I can do something. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there are, I don't know their percentage, there are lots of people going to church Sunday after Sunday who have reversed that thing and said, well, this is what what a Christian is. He does this, does this, does this, and thus becomes this. That's to reverse the order. I become this by a sovereign act of God's grace in my life. I become this And then he calls me to live like this. Never forgetting that if I am not properly related to it, living like this is an utter impossibility. Bill, Because I belong to this God, I want to live this holy life. Um, Not the other way around. Not, I want to live this holy life so I can belong to this God. No, because I belong to this God, I want to live this holy life. Gang, grace, properly understood, grace inspires holy living. It doesn't require holy living. Do you see that? Grace inspires. Grace empowers. Grace gives me a whole new set of definitions. Grace shows me something that's far more beautiful. Grace doesn't say, do this and live. Grace says, because I live. These are the things that I do in response to belonging to this God. God comes to Israel and says, I am the Lord your God. That's subtle, it's not based on your performance. Because you were pretty, uh, we've all got some skeletons in our closets, though. Because I'm already related to you by sovereign grace. Now, so all I'm saying, guys, when I come into when I come face to face with injunctions like these found in Romans 15:1, I think, "Holy moly, this is what's required of me." Yes, it's what's required of us, and the only chance I have. Of even remotely resembling anything that's being described in Romans 15.1. Is to go back to the God that has saved me. And be reminded. I belong to him. I want to do this. Not so that I can belong to him. I want to do this because I belong to him. Because I'm in this relationship with him. It has inspired me. To live like That. But if you face those in any other way, they do nothing but condemn you. This is, um, this is radical. We owe bearing with one another and doing things that don't simply please ourselves. We owe that. Why? Because we belong to the Lord who said, I issue moral injunctions because of who I am. And I belong to him. Don't ever get those confused, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ever get those. Don't ever reverse them. Let's quit. Our Father, I I do pray that that's abundantly clear to every person in this room. Because to reverse that order is to overturn the gospel. To reverse that order is to make us... People who are trying to save ourselves by some kind of moral behavior. It is nothing but moral reform, and it will not ever be successful. But, Father, because we are related to you, because we are born of the Spirit, we have new principles of life, and we have new appetites, we have new desires, we have new interests, we have new values, we have new priorities. And being reminded by texts like these that we must go back and remind ourselves of who we are, of who we belong to, and having been reminded of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Asking for the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to go now live this. Grant us that, Father. Grant us that so that the world might know that this thing called the finished work of Jesus Christ is not just a bunch of church talk. It's the very thing that changes us. We ask this, of course, in Jesus' name.